I'm with you today, and I'm very glad to be with you today. I'm excited to be with you today. Uh, I work with an organization called Interim Ministry Partners. I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher. I, uh, I, I worked with a church in Arlington, Texas for about 13 years, and then I was a professor of, of uh, preaching and ministry and leadership at Oklahoma Christian University, and now I work with the Grace Crossing Church uh, there in the Woodlands part of North Houston near Conroe, Magnolia, Montgomery, that area if you're familiar. And I've had the opportunity to, to go to lots of churches in the last uh, few years and work with lots of leaders. And uh, we received a call um, a few weeks ago saying we're in a season where we're looking for a minister. And I'm now, as managing partner of Interim Ministry Partners, IMP, uh, someone who gets those emails, gets those calls. So I inquire, tell me about your church, tell me what's going on. And, and uh, so we've entered into an interim season. And uh, we want to, we've wanted to for, for over a year or so, we've wanted to explore who we are and who God's called us to be increasingly in Franklin, Tennessee, in Williamson County. And I said, well, that's, that's part of what we do. We're not, we're not a headhunter group. We're not monster.com. Uh, we, we, we encourage people to take advantage of the interim season to explore and discern in community, discern the will of God, the movement of God's Holy Spirit among them currently and into the future. And we think this interim time is a great time to do that. And I'll be talking a whole lot more about that during the Bible class time that follows this. And so if you have to miss either now or then, miss now, okay? Um, be here for that because we really want you to understand the basics of what we're talking about. How we can go from transition to transformation. That's really, really important. So I don't pretend to know everything going on in your minds. I don't pretend to know everything you've been through. I don't pretend to know how you feel, what you think about what's going on right now. But I do know that we believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in the crucifixion. We believe in the resurrection. And we believe that He's coming back again. And this church has been around almost 200 years, almost. And this church has endured lots of seasons. This church, I know for a fact, endured a pandemic in 1918. Did you know that people worshipped and gathered in, in community here in 1918 and, and they looked like you? They wore masks. And uh, I, I'm, I'm hopeful you know each other and you can recognize, I'm seeing hair and eyes mostly. Um, I, know, I know there's Anthony, I think, over there. I get that, yeah. And I know Nancy right there. What a, what a blessing she's going to be working with your team during this transition in a very special way. And a few others of you I, I sort of remember from Friday night or Saturday morning yesterday. Saturday evening, I mean Friday evening, I met with uh, your shepherds and their, and their wives. And we talked, we prayed, we read the word, and we looked closely at your input and the demographics and some information provided by your church office about the recent history of this church family. And we, we explored what might be into the future as we go through an interim season time. 
And then yesterday we met with a few other people, including some of those same shepherds and a few others. And, and others of you might be invited to participate. In fact, all of you will be invited to participate in some way in this process going forward. So I want to encourage you to do that with a happy spirit, with a unified and a positive uh, presence together as God's people at the Fourth Avenue Church of Christ. Would you bow with me as we begin today? Holy God, bless this group of people. Thank you for their hearts. Thank you for their hearts that are bent toward you. Thank you for their, their reception of me to be here, Lord, to, to understand uh, that, um, that you're still active in working in the world. Lord, remove from us the temptation to feel like we're the center of the universe or that any other one of us is the center of the universe other than you, O oh God, three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so may we reorient our lives in the most disorienting seasons of life. May we reorient toward you, refocus our faith. As we explore what kind of church we might be, as, as we ask the question, does our church have a future and what does that future look like, Lord? Would you empower, would you lead the way? To your glory, God the Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Those are good questions that sometimes people ask when I come into churches. The, uh, what kind of church will we be? Uh, we, we, we somewhat know what we've been, but what kind of church will we be? Another question I get frequently is, is does our church have a future? Because we sometimes go into churches that are in interim times, that means something has changed recently. We didn't have any part in that, but we're here to help in response to that. And, and you can do a couple of things. You can hold your nose and run through it as fast as possible. Or you can, you can slow down and listen and hear and look and observe and study yourselves, the community around you, what God has done in the past and what God might do in the future. It's called discernment in community, spiritual discernment. And we're encouraging you to do just that. <clears throat> you see, we all got where we are some way, either haphazardly and unintentionally and just reactively, or sometimes intentionally and proactively. We just either evolve or devolve and we are the way we are because of something, or, or we, we look to the future and say, it's not about us, it is about you, God, and lead us, God, lead us, lead us, God. And we adopt that humble, open posture of what it means to be the people of God led by the people of God because God's led people through transitions and interim seasons before. Think of Israel. Think of the movement of God from a Jewish-centered church to a church for all nations. And what's so interesting is those Jewish Christians, those first Jewish believers were to be a light to the world. A light to the world as we've sung even today. But you know, um, church leaders are an anxious lot. They're, they're concerned. They want to lead, they want to guide, they want to, to hold fast to the truths of God's Word, they want to be about the mission of God in the world, but, but they're, provoking, they're provoked with anxiety frequently. 
and they make decisions, and, and whether or not they're agreed with by many or not, most of them, I find, are doing the best they can. And they're looking to go forward together, and they want you to be together with them going forward. I know that about church leaders. They want to lead, they want to guide in the ways and the paths of the Lord. That's what they want. And they're anxious, and, um, and a few church members sometimes are anxious as well. They sense the world is changing. There's been a, a seismic kind of shift, and the world is changing. And, and, and the, things we, the things we used to know and feel comfortable with and understand, they, they, they are being adjusted somehow. And we wonder, where's all this going? What will it be like? What will the future hold? Well, what kind of church will we be? And those are all really, really good questions. Sometimes it comes to me in the, in the form of a question about growth. How can the church grow? Because you see, as your stats indicate, this has been a very stable church, kind of a plateaued church for a lengthy period of time. Although Franklin has grown by almost 33%, in the last decade, your church has kind of been fairly stable, kind of like this. And so your kingdom footprint has, has gotten smaller because the number of people around you have increased, but your church has kind of been up and down about the same over the last decade. That's what your statistics show as far as the number of people that would affiliate and come and attend and be a part of the ministry of this church. Um, well, it's not all about numbers, Doug. No, you're right, it's not. The one thing numbers do indicate are numbers indicate people. Numbers indicate our fellowship, our community, the one anothering that can take place. And so if your kingdom footprint is getting smaller in the environment in which you stand or sit or serve, or worship, or lead. We sometimes ask questions, and sometimes the questions come about, uh, Doug, what's, you've traveled, you've been in 25 or 30 states in the last few, tell me, wh what are the greatest, latest programs? Who do we need to model and emulate? And, and you know, I, I'm not much for those $99 DVD in a box church programs or downloadables. I, uh, I'm glad if something works well somewhere else. But, but what I'm about is the people of God in their context and location seeking the will of God together. And then living into that in faith. Because we believe, don't we? We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ, His Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe that on the third day, a short interim season, just three days, we believe that God raised up the physical body of Jesus Christ. And in our baptisms, we get to participate in that same resurrection. And we believe that he's coming back again and that he'll raise us up again. We believe that. And if we believe that, then we can get through interim seasons together. We can do that. I'm quite sure you can do that. Uh, so uh, it's not about a quick fix to alleviate our existential angst, right? Let's just kind of hold our nose and go through this as quickly as possible. It's about, it's about humbling ourselves together, seeking the will of God, empowering people among us with special gifts to help lead. 
It's about pulling together at this time. That's so very important. Now, before we get to our text, I want to tell you, the more I read the Bible, the more I'm amazed at, at how there are just little parts of Scripture that I've missed, that I haven't really noticed before. And that's kind of the way it is on the text that I've chosen to, uh, to read and look at today. Um, in reading about the life of Jesus in Luke's Gospel, uh, we typically read about a, a sinful woman anointing, anointed by Jesus in, in, in Luke 7, and then briefly skip over to the first part of chapter 8, and there's this little summary part there, but, but then we get over there, and there's this parable of the sower, and because we're evangelistic, because we have a heart for the world, we, we want to understand how, how the seed gets sown, and how the harvest grows, and how it, it's reaped, and that sort of thing. So we, we just kind of skip over a little bit, but there's a very short passage, a summary statement that's often overlooked. And it doesn't, it doesn't record the events of one specific day. It's not that one day where, where Jesus does something spectacular. This day he raises up somebody like Lazarus, come out. It's not, it's not one of those days. It's not one of those days where, where Jesus meets a woman in Luke 7 and, and, and her son, her only son, this widow from Nain, her only son's dead and and he's not. It's not that day. In fact, it's a, it's a summary of what happened in the ministry of Jesus on many days. Lots of days, if you will. It's a brief summary of how things were. But the question I want to raise with you today is, it, it, can it be how things are? You read in Scripture how things were in Jesus' life. And you wonder, can it be how Things are. And so I, with that introduction, we turn to Luke chapter 8. At this time in Jesus' ministry, he's facing opposition. He's facing opposition, rising opposition. The cross is drawing near. The synagogues are banning him. The religious leaders are saying, it's not good for the institutional machinery and structure we put in place for you to be out here talking and serving and doing so Jesus doesn't get a lot of welcome mat. Nobody's rolling out the red carpet to him. Luke 8, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. So the, the first inclination for me to do is to read this and ask in response to the question, does our church have a future, is simply to say a church with a future looks outward. That's what Jesus is doing here after this. After this, Jesus travels about from one town and village to another proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. This is Nashville. You've heard of a guy named Willie Nelson, right? He's on the road again, and that's the way Jesus is. By the way, Willie's from Texas. Used to have an elder that, that owned a record company. He lived in Texas, but, but he owned a record company with a silent partner here. And he, he was all about redeeming Willie. And uh, I remember on staff at a church about a couple of times bigger than this one, he was a wonderful, wonderful man you'll meet in heaven named Mel. Mel comes in and says, here's Willie's latest Christmas album. And Willie had already had a few brushes with the law, you know, by that point. And uh, so, so Mel brought to the church staff the, they used to have these things called CDs, little round things. 
and he, he brought those to us and gave it out. And, and he even wanted to pray about the miraculous change that occurred in Willie's life. So he gives those to the staff. And then, and then one week later, I promise you, one week later, the news is on I-35 on the way to Austin, Willie's bus got pulled over. They opened the door and a cloud of smoke came out of Willie's bus. He was on the road again, all right. Three days in the pen, I think, is where he was on the road to. Well, Jesus is not that way on the road, but Jesus is on the road. It's not about getting people in here only. It's not about what you do in here. Oh, it is, and it's important. But this is more of a launching pad for, for us to be involved in ministry in the world. It's an outward focus. It's an external focus that I find here in the ministry of Jesus. We need that same mindset that Jesus has. Um, sometimes I think we fall into the, the trap of believing that, that somebody's like the book of Acts is just going to pop in here and then King James English is going to say, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And that doesn't usually happen a lot. That's not my experience. My experience is, is godly people that, that sort of seep out into the world as salt and light and leaven. And influence. And they put in a good word for Jesus. They, they pray. They serve. And they make a difference. Day in and day out. They, they have an outward focus about their lives. And so when people ask me that question. What's, what's our church going to look like? What kind of church will we be? Or does our church have a future? I think. On the full authority of the Word of God, I can tell you clearly that a church with a future looks outward. They look beyond themselves. You know, Jesus said, come follow me, and I will make you a fisherman for people. I'll help you be a fisher of persons in Matthew chapter 4. And, and by nature, fishing is not always done where I am. I have to go somewhere to do that. Salt, light, leaven, they are distinctly different than that to which they are applied. And they're intended to change some things. They're intended to make a difference in some things. You had Thanksgiving recently. My, my wife and uh, my two daughters, 24 and 29, and my father, a 50-plus year career preacher, who drove a few hundred miles to be with us, celebrated Thanksgiving. Not the big group that we usually have, but the four of us and Dad. And um, Cheryl always brings the sweet potatoes, not the kind with the marshmallows on top, the good kind, with a lot of butter, a lot of brown sugar, and a lot of cinnamon. Well, since we weren't going where we normally go, the, the family all said, hey, send us that recipe, my grandmother's recipe, the best sweet potatoes you've ever put in your mouth. Send it, and uh, we'll make it. And so they did, and then they, they FaceTimed us, and, and, and it's, they're all like this. 
And Cheryl said, what's, what's up? What's wrong? And, and they said, well, we, we did exactly what you said. We followed the recipe. We, we, put, in, we put in a butter we put in brown sugar and we put in cumin. They had sweet potato taco meat is what they had. <laughs> you know, it, 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 okay, they had the wrong thing in there. And, 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 and that's the way it is. We're, we're like a seasoning added to the world properly. Salt. We're a shining light. We're leaven, a little bit that gets worked in at the appropriate mixture at the appropriate times because God's Spirit's leading us. Not because we, you know, have the best seminar we went to and adopted the best church program we could. Because we're people infused by God's Holy Spirit that are seeping and working our way out into the world to make a difference. We're externally focused. And notice the message here, it's good news of the, uh, verse 1, good news of the kingdom of God. You see, the, the key, it's not the kingdom of Washington, D.C. It's not the kingdom of the United States of America. This precedes all of that, and it will last longer than all of that. No doubt about it. You see, sometimes we get kingdom confusion. We forget whose kingdom we're really a part of. Our nation's really struggled with that recently. But, but we're, we're the church, we're, we're in the kingdom of God, and so we don't need to have kingdom confusion. Let me, let me help you, I will tell you real easily how to avoid kingdom confusion in your life today. I, I really know how to do that, and here's how you do it. Two words, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Lord saves, rescues, Christ is the word I want to focus on. Christ is actually not a translated word, it's a transliterated word that means the anointed one, the king, the messiah. So every time you say Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' middle or last name. Jesus Christ, right? No, it's Jesus the King. Jesus the Anointed One. Jesus the Messiah. And every time you say Jesus Christ, it's a political statement for all eternity. It's a cosmic political statement. You're saying, I am a part of the kingdom of God because Jesus is my King. Jesus is my Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the anointed one. So there's no room for kingdom confusion, right? When you have kingdom confusion, how can you be outwardly focused for the, for the king? You're pushing your agenda or somebody else's agenda other than the agenda of the king. So a church for the future looks outward. It's very, very clear. Let's look a little further. In the verse 1. The 12 were with Jesus, now verse 2, and also some women, women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. This gives a little glimpse into the incredible diversity of those that follow Jesus. So I just want to tell you from reading this little short summary statement, not one specific day, but how it was on lots of different days, a church with a future, a church like Jesus, a church that will be like Jesus, looks diverse. I'm, it's in the Bible. It may not be in here, but, but it's in the Bible. A church like Jesus looks diverse. Uh, notice the 12. Um, think about them. There's Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're, they're fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. They're, they're not white-collar types, okay? Uh, they're 
there, go, go down to the, the Union Hall, the Longshoremen's Union somewhere near a lake or a sea, and take a look at the guys, the sailors, the fishermen. That's the kind of guys these are that Jesus chose. Um, Matthew, he's a sellout. He's collected taxes for the Romans. And then opposite of him, you have Simon the Zealot. Zealots, the ones that hung out at Masada, the ones that were the right-wing resistance, the ultra-right-wing resistance. They were known for sneaking up behind in a crowd, and there might be a Roman soldier or somebody there, and they knew, they had diagrams where they talked about the armor of the Roman soldiers, and they knew exactly where to take a little zealot dagger, a little knife, pull it out from their long flowing road, and just kind of walk up behind somebody who was pro-Roman or a Roman soldier, and just... And they would drop like a sack of potatoes. Those were the zealots. You got Peter, Andrew, James, and John, fishermen. You got Matthew, who's pro-Roman. And you got Simon, the right-wing zealot. And these are all being transformed, not into what they were, but into what they could be in Jesus don't you know they had some interesting political discussions around the Sea of Galilee? And of course, Jesus kept harping on this thing called the kingdom of God. Not the kingdom of restored Israel fully, totally, as they were thinking about it politically. And not the kingdom of Rome. It wasn't Lord Caesar. It was the Lord Jesus, the King, Messiah. You got Peter. He's a man of action, right? Impulsive. Lop off the ear of the high priest, sir. You, you know, deny Jesus three times. You got John. He's kind of just ooey-gooey, sugary, lovey-dovey kind of guy. The apostle of love. You got Thomas, a twin there, you know. Um, I, I came across a little article recently. Um, basically, it was from a consultant. Somebody that travels around, gets on an airplane, carries a backpack, and and works with people, and, and so uh, I thought, hey, I'd do some of that, so I better read this thing. It, it's a memo to Jesus, the son of Joseph, from the Jordan River Area Management Consultation Company. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you've picked for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our corporate psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. The profiles of all these tests are included, and you will want to study them carefully. As part of our service, we will make some general comments. These are given as a result of staff consultation and come without any additional fee. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise that you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We recommend you continue with your search. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper and impulse. Andrew was, he has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The brothers James and John place personal interests above company loyalty and they have a strange relationship with their mama. Thomas has a skeptical attitude that would tend to undermine morale. 
It's our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, have radical leanings and they show a high score on the manic depressive scale. The only one who shows great potential, ability, resourcefulness, a business mind, who meets people well, who's ambitious, and who is highly motivated, we recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. Wow. Not everybody looks like we expect them. Not everybody looks like us. You guys are a fairly monolithic church in a lot of ways. Oh, I know you've got some diversity of things, and I get all that. But, but man, uh, wouldn't it be something if you lived in a county or a town that grew by 33% over the last decade, if there was a church that, that sort of looked similar to that community that's growing around you? That'd be cool. That'd look a lot like Jesus and his followers. And, and it's these women here, they're not back home cooking. Although there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus brings a radical shift toward inclusion of women in his ministry. Mary Magdalene had seven demons. She was possessed. She shows an amazing loyalty to Jesus. Comes from a little small town that I take groups to Israel about every other year and have for the last 25 years. And, and we've uncovered Magdala. Used to call it just a little dinky spot there and by the Sea of Galilee. It's a little bigger. The, the little dwellings are archaeologically larger than we thought they would be. But that's where she's from. You can go to that synagogue right there still today. She stood by the cross. She watched the burial. She was the first to see Jesus after the resurrection. Go and tell. Joanna, the, the wife of Chusa, she's married to Herod's chief steward. She's a woman of the court. She's got some prominence and probably a little bit of sophistication. Probably a little more sophisticated than Mary from that little spot by the Sea of Galilee. I don't know. But they're diverse. They're different. I don't know anything about Susanna. Came from Alabama with a banjo on her knee. I don't, I don't know. I don't have any idea. Nothing in scripture about Susanna. But it's a diverse group. It's a diverse group. Uh, you know, we have trite sayings sometimes like, uh, all the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And, and, and in a sense, it is. But I just like to get more people around the foot of the cross. The people that look like me and people that don't look like me. And in Jesus, an amazing thing happens. People from all backgrounds and social levels they come together somehow. And you read the book of Acts, and that's the way it goes. And the Holy Spirit usually has to intervene to make it happen because our tendency is not to be diverse. Our tendency is to be monolithic. And, and so you have to have movements of God. Acts 2, all these people from everywhere. Uh, you, have, you have the Holy Spirit taking an evangelist like Philip and saying, go out on this road. There's going to be a guy there. He's on a, he's on a, a chariot. He's reading from Isaiah. And, uh, and he's, you know, a unique fellow from an African nation. And he doesn't look like you. And he doesn't um, have the same culture that you have at all. But Philip, you're my, you're my evangelist. You understand what you're reading? 
How can I unless somebody explains it to me? I've been down to the capital of God in Jerusalem, but nobody down there took the time to explain it to me. And so God's Holy Spirit does something. And Philip tells him, and guess what he says? What doth hinder me to be baptized? There's some water. <laughs> you see, God's Holy Spirit usually has to intervene for those kinds of things. We could go on and on in the book of Acts and show you some of that diversity in the early church. It's there. You see, one place where there ought not to be many distinctions at all would be when Christians gather. When we worship. The gospel is for everybody. The good news is for all people. What, what kind of church will we be? Will we be a, be a church that's outward? Will we be a, be a church that is, is diverse? Or will we be monolithic? That's a good question to ask. I have one more question, then we'll be done. Luke 8, verse 3. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Luke thought it was, was noteworthy on many days to point out, on many days there was this support team financial and otherwise probably, that were these women. So every time you saw Jesus on a typical day, it'd be Jesus and some of these closest followers, and then you'd have these women and, and this motley crew, this diverse crew, this, this crew that wasn't just about themselves but were looking outward. That's who Jesus hung with. And I know it's not Acts 2 yet, but you might say this is what the church of Jesus looked like. This is what the gathering, the assembly of Jesus look like. They grew in sacrificial service. They're, they're just supporting Jesus. They're doing what they can. Remember Mother Teresa, uh, Calcutta, taking care of the least of these. When she received her Nobel Peace Prize, she just simply said, I want to be a pencil in the hand of God. And I, I heard that and I thought, wow, what, what kind of letter am I writing? What kind of document is my life writing? Is it Sacrificial service. So, so what kind of church will it be? Does our church have a future? Will we look outward? Will we look more diverse? Will we look to serve? Will our life together in the church be occupied more by institutional maintenance and the alleviation of our own personal anxiety? Or, during this season, will we take the time to think about the kingdom of God among us? Will we avoid kingdom confusion and focus on Jesus the Christ? Will our perspectives about the church, will they be colored more by our own prejudices or by the person of Jesus Christ? Will our views of church be shaped more by our own experiences or the one who experienced the cross? What kind of church will we be? What kind of church has a future? I believe yours does because you're going to take the time to discern the will of God among yourselves. And you need to have faith when you do it. Would you be standing with me right now? I'm bullish for you, I'm confident for you because you believe. 
I heard you today say you believe in God the Father. You believe in Jesus Christ the Son. You believe in the Holy Spirit. Your shepherds have told me that they believe that Jesus offers new life. They believe in the crucifixion. They believe in the resurrection. And they believe Jesus is coming back again. And he wants a group of people to be a part of his kingdom. And I trust today that no matter what's going on, whatever season you're a part of, that you can build upon that belief and step forward in faith into the future.